Thank you. It's nice to be here this morning, and it's good to come to the Word of God. I always feel a wee bit apprehensive, and I've been preaching since I was a young man. But every time it doesn't get any easier. Every time I come to the Word of God, I feel so apprehensive and so responsible to take the Word of God because it is the authority of God, the Holy Scriptures. I want to speak this morning on some words of Jesus from the Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 5. We'll read the, right to the end of verse 14 or 15 from Matthew chapter 5. And this is speaking about Jesus. And when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men, when people shall insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men, people, put light on a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father, which is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your precious word. And we pray, Lord, that you will take the word of life and make it real and alive in each and every one of our hearts. We pray for the inspiration of the Spirit of God to take your word and apply it to every heart and every life. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus saw the multitudes, the Bible tells us here that he went up the mountain and he sat down and he taught them. And the teaching of Jesus, or the, pre the precepts, he taught them all the precepts of the kingdom of God. And this is speaking about the Beatitudes. I want this morning, just for a little while, to take two of the Beatitudes and one of the words that Jesus mentioned at the end of the Beatitudes. Blessed 
are they who are thirsty. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. People say that it's not for me. It was for the disciples. It has no relevance for me, this teaching. It was applied first to the disciples, and it applies to people later. Those who came to him, came to Jesus in all their spiritual poverty. Only then will these teachings be applied in each and every one of our lives. When Jesus saw the multitude, and he saw the human need that was represented, he took his disciples up into a mountain, and he sat down, which is emphasized in teaching. He sat down, and he taught them, saying. So take, for instance, the words of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The responsibility that was put upon these men and on us as salt and of light. Clearly what Jesus is teaching or preaching to these men, telling them what they were to do in the world. And not only there, but after he was gone, it was preached to people who were meant to practice what Jesus taught them on the mountain that day. So at this time when Jesus gave this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount and all that is attached to, we read in the various epistles of the teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount which followed the Beatitudes, or followed the teaching on the salt of the earth, is what the precepts of the kingdom of God for daily living, for you and I, that character will be built in each and every one of our lives as we apply the teachings of Jesus into our lives and into our ministries. So everything that Jesus said here is just what could we speak of on the, on the epistles. A new commandment have I given you. That is that we love one another even as he loved us. So the teachings of the Beatitudes applies to us, God's children, do we ask ourselves, why should we study this? Why should we try to live like this? Jesus taught, the, Jesus, Jesus taught us how to live, how to live. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, teaching us how to live godly and pure lives before God. Jesus died, the Bible tells us, in Titus 2 and 14, he died that he might purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. What, he, what does he mean? He died in order that I, that you and I, might be able to live that teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus made it possible. And then we come, just before we come to these two Beatitudes that I want to bring before you this morning, I may be bringing the cart before the horse, but just look at this, words of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. Now that's what Jesus said. 
And that is, that is assuming that they have taken the words of the Beatitudes into their lives to try and live them to the best of their ability. It might be said at the end of the Beatitudes that the Sermon on the Mount was about to begin. And that is the teaching that Jesus gave to the people round about him. Probably he took up the mountain his disciples. But if you look at the end of, the, of verse 4, you see the great multitudes that gathered into him for healing. Not only multitudes gathered from all around the area, but as far north as Syria, they came. It was a great multitude that came to hear Jesus. And so he took his disciples up the mountain. And it is thought that, uh, that maybe it was two, three days ministry up the mountain. And probably much of the, of the company down went up the mountain to hear what Jesus was saying. So the Sermon on the Mount, in the main, is the unfolding on the exposition, the application of the Beatitudes. On Jesus' exposition, these verses salt and light. They basically introduce the teaching that Jesus was about to give. We are called to be salt. Now salt has many different uses for healing and for cleansing. It, it keeps uh, things uh, from, from stopping decay. It keeps disease away. It's used for seizing. It's a preservative. It has many, many different uses. Salt in the ancient times, in Bible times, in Caesar's times, the soldiers received salt in payment. In ancient China, salt was used second to gold in value. Well, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And then he talked about people losing their saltiness. It's fairly known today that salt is salt. And people think salt will never lose its saltiness. But it certainly does. If it gets contaminated with other ingredients. So, so what does Jesus mean by meaning, by saying that our being, this salt loses its saltiness. In answering this question, we must look what Jesus meant. The statement, you are the salt of the earth, refers to those who become what Jesus describes and promises. Not just to anybody. Not just because we're church members or someone who calls himself a Christian can apply the text out of the context and say, I have taken this Beatitudes on board and I am the salt of the earth. We are not going to be salt of the earth if we are not living these principles in our daily lives. So our being the salt of the earth is a valid description of the anointed child of God, of the anointed, the anointed child of God. So as we look at these words and realize what it means, what did Jesus say? Losing saltiness is the Lord's way of, of describing a Christian who loses the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, a Christian who is born again 
never loses the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, a comforter, that he may abide with you forever. So a Christian never loses the Holy Spirit, but one can lose the anointing. Paul tells us in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by which you are sealed by God till the day of redemption. So the blessedness in the Beatitude, it is seen as ministering into our lives, are being pure in heart. Now this first Beatitude that I want to bring before you, Blessed are the pure in heart, or blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And do not forget that the salt of the earth refers to men and women who inhabit the ungrieved spirit of God to those who are under the anointing. But if the Holy Spirit is grieved, we still have the Holy Spirit, but we don't have the promise of the anointing. We want to have the power. We will not have clear thinking on spiritual issues. We will not have insight. We will not truly be the salt of the earth. Salt is an antiseptic. Jesus gives an analogy between our anointing and being salt in the world. An analogy is a partial likeness between two things that are compared. So Jesus is comparing our anointing with the salt which is in the world, the salt, because of the condition which is in the world. So our anointing is like salt to a fallen world. This world is full of decay. But our anointing is like salt, and salt stops the decay. It brings in that purifying effect which we sung of this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart. Have salt in yourselves. So Paul says in Romans 8:21, the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption. What sin did to humankind, and because of sin, because of what sin did in the world, decay, corruption comes in, and death finally comes in. And the human body and the blood cells die in the human body, and we get weaker and weaker. We get older and older, and then die. And finally comes in corruption. But as far as the human body is concerned, there is a day coming when we'll get a new body, like unto his glorious body, which will not be subject unto corruption. So we cannot delay decay in the human body as age goes in. But we can de delay decay in the spiritual realm, the moral decay in this world. In the spiritual, salt delays decay. So our anointing to the world is a salt is the food. In the ancient world, take away salt from food and it rots. There's no free freezers or fridges in that day. Christians 
who have the anointing of God upon them. Preaching the gospel of Christ is the only hope to a decaying world and decaying humanity. So salt makes you thirsty. The world is not interest, interested in the gospel, but salt makes one thirsty. How are we going to create a thirst for righteousness in those around us? And there is only one answer. The anointing. The anointing of God upon the Christians. An Arab sheep she kept watching Arthur Blissey. Many years ago, may you have read of him, who went around the country carrying a cross on his back and maybe in foreign lands also. But he was in Jordan in Amman one day and he was sitting drinking his Coca-Cola. And an Arab sheep, sheik looked over to him. And he said to Arthur, I want what you've got. And the result of that conversation, the Arab was converted to Christ. Arthur was given an open door to the many Muslims in that area just within a few, a few hours by his being the salt of the earth. The salt is a preservative. The presence of godly people in a town in Rotherham, in a city or a nation, can check the outflow of sin and corruption. The anointing serves as a preservative. In days of sails, when big ships went out on a long voyage, they take, used to take bottles of meat and they used to rub the salt into the meat to keep that meat from putrefying and from rotting. And in the same way, spiritual and godly people who are the salt of the earth check the flow of sin in the world by just being salt. So to maintain this anointing, before we come to this two Beatitudes, the Christian can lose the anointing. Billy Graham once said his greatest fear was that God would take his hand off him. And when Samson told his secret to Delilah, the scripture says he did not know. He wished not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. This is a classical way of losing the anointing, even just temporarily. So, speaking, salt is salt. And it doesn't lose its saltiness, but it can be contaminated by mixture. So we, as we bring the methods of the world, world-motivated methods, and the approval of people around about us, ensnared by the fear of man and all these things, we can, in a moment, or in that moment, be on the verge of losing our anointing. The anointing was demonstrated in the Beatitudes that it was without mixture. It was without mixture. It's when you mix salt with anything else, it loses its saltiness. Jesus says salt is good, but it, if it loses its saltiness as being contaminated with a mixture, how can you make it salty again? Mark 9.50 says, James says, uh, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred against God? It tells us in one of the epistles, love not the world, neither the things of the world, for the love of the Father is not in them. 
So our spiritual task is to maintain this anointing. We can never outgrow the Beatitudes. Jesus' declaration that those who show the spirit and the truth of the Beatitudes by their lives are the salt of the earth. And that is just what we are called to be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I read a story once about a Bible teacher who was eight or nine years old. And he spent the night at grandmother's. But the next day he was going to have a test in school. He says, I dreaded the test. I was not prepared. I woke up with a feeling of sickness. And grandma said, get up and get your breakfast. Be ready for school. He says, I'm sick. I'm not able to go to school today, grandma. Okay, she said, just stay in bed. But he says, oh, grandma, fast. I want my breakfast. And she said to him, if you have a good appetite, there's nothing wrong with you. Get up and go to school. Now that is also true on the spiritual level. If you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, there's not much spiritually wrong with you. David said, as the deer plants for the water, so my soul plants for you. Oh God, when, I, when, I, when can I go and meet with God? Psalm 42, 1 and 2. The psalmist had a good appetite. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. David prayed, My God, you are my God. Earnestly, I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. He longed for God. He waited. He wanted all that God could, have, get, could give him. So what Jesus is talking about in this beatitude is that you are blessed. You are blessed if you have such an appetite for God and for righteousness, for righteousness. You can't live without what you are hungry for. He's not talking about being peckish when you want a bite to eat. He is talking about desperation for food, for the hunger that comes into the stomach when you're so hungry for food. These this words indicated what you feel in the natural, starving. Now Jesus puts the idea before us of having a craving for God, for what defies, having a craving for what defies a natural explanation. There is a natural explanation of wanting to eat when you're hungry, because we're made that way. That's how we're made. Consistent desire for things that please God and honor Him. But when you come to that position, that when you have a desire for godly things and for God, you have crossed over from the natural into the supernatural. There is no natural explanation for that. Imagine taking a poll in Rotherham City Centre 
And you say to people, do you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? They would look at you and you say, say is this some sort of a joke? We are talking about polar opposites. The desire what, what comes naturally without any aid of the Holy Spirit and what comes by the entrance of the Holy Spirit into our lives. What would cause a craving for true righteousness? The only answer is in a great awakening of the soul that comes from inside. Something, but it takes often something out, something external to awaken something internal. Jonah ran from God. He was swallowed by a great fish. And it took that in Jonah's life to bring him to his senses to fulfill the works and the purposes of God. In the Great Awakening in the New England in 1925 to 1950, under Jonathan Edwards, remember he was the man who ministered to David Brainerd as he lay dying. J uh, Jonathan Edwards observed that the whole town in which he, he was preaching to, he was the whole town round about him, was filled with a talk about God. Imagine that if something was happening here. You go down to Rotherham City Centre, everybody's talking about God. People get in right with God. People want to honor God. No, the high work, the high water work in this revival under Jonathan and Edwards was he started to preach a sermon and he took his text from Deuteronomy 32 35. Their feet shall slide in due time. The Spirit came down in unexpected power during his sermon. And it wasn't his oratory. He was no orator at all. He was a boring speaker who read his message. But when he had finished preaching, strong men were holding on to the church pews to keep them from sliding down into hell. Outside, people were holding on to the very tree trunks to keep them from sliding down into hell. When that sermon was put into print, it was given the title, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. What caused this awakening in the soul? You have to look at the answer in the statement of Jesus about meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And there is a logical sequence in the Beatitudes. One anointing triggers another. Brokenness in the first. Blessed are they who, blessed are the poor in heart, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When the people come to realize the brokenness that brings in their lives, they come into that situation that they cannot do anything. We need God. And it comes by the Holy Spirit bringing these words into the heart. And it follows, it triggers another anointing. Meekness follows. And self-righteousness is emptied in the soul. And it's followed by a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness, for God. But it all begins with an awakening in the soul. So what does this text mean? Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It is one of those texts that divides itself 
for they are truly happy people. And that is the motive behind every act and every ambition, every striving out for effort in this world. Everything people, people want happiness. But the great tragedy of the world around about us, so many people never be able, are never able to find it. To put it negatively, we have not to hunger and thirst after blessedness or happiness, which so much people are doing, but according to scripture, happiness is not something that should be sought of as something directly. It is always something that brings results from something else. People make happiness their main object, but they do not find it when they put happiness before righteousness. They are doomed to failure. It's so true in the church today. So many people go from meeting to meeting, hoping to get this wonderful experience that's going to fill them with joy. And we do get a touch from God in so many meetings. But they seek it, some people seek it, but never seem to find it. We must never put blessedness or happiness or experiences fast in our lives. That is something that God gives to those who seek righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is what Jesus is speaking of here. Paul speaks about the righteousness which is by faith. But, and he's talking about justification. It means that. Sanctification, it means that also. In other words, a desire for righteousness. The act of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Ultimately, it is, it's a hunger and thirst to be free from sin and everything and all the bondages that is, comes with sin. It's a desire to get right with God in every way. A desire to get rid, of, get rid of sin in the life because sin breaks our relationship with God. Sin breaks it. So in every one, in every one of our lives, it means that the supreme desire of life is to know God and to be in fellowship with God. To walk with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That is, that, that's nothing that can be worked up. This holy desire for righteousness, to please God in every desire and every action. This is a glorious anointing that shows that one is dwelling in the realm of the Holy Ghost. But every believer has imputed righteousness. Every believer is not hungering and thirsting to be righteous. Every believer is not hungering and thirsting to be sanctified. But every believer has got the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now we stand before God in Christ's righteousness, not in our own. It's what he has done. And that's what it means, imputed righteousness. That's already taken place when Jesus came into our hearts. He saved us, and that will never be taken away. But what is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about here? It is an implanted Righteousness. In the epistle of James in 2 1 and 121, we read, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted 
in you. Now it is an internal righteousness. In other words, it's the word of God implanted in our hearts. It is born in the heart. And if we come to that position in God, the implanted word of God brings a godly affection into the heart. It is seeing what you want and having seen what you lack. It is internal. It is infused and imparted by the power of the Spirit of God. It makes for a heart that is crying for righteousness. Not a righteousness that, may, that they speak about. Jesus says, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew 6, 1 speaks of the righteousness of the Pharisees. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. To be seen of them. Just doing it to be seen of them. But if you do them, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Because that's, that's your reward. You're doing it to be seen of men. Jesus called them hypocrites. Announcing their good deeds given to the poor with trumpets in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by men. The righteousness that Jesus has in mind is unpretentious. It's an absence of smugness or arrogance or haughtiness. No putting on of airs. No looking over the shoulder if someone is seeing what I'm doing. Jesus blesses those who are hungry for a righteousness that maybe will not be appreciated in this life. But the Father who sees the heart, he sees the heart and he sees the motive in the heart. Robert Murray McCheen, many perhaps have heard of him in the last century, in the 1800s. He was a lovely, godly, it was said of him that he was one of the godliest and the saintliest men that ever lived. Robert Murray McCheen, a Scottish minister and indeed, he died at the age of 29. A touch, you know, his prayer was, he prayed again and again, Lord, make me a holy man. Make me a holy man. A touch of revival broke out in his church. And as I said, it was said of him that he was the saintliest man that ever lived. Six months after he died, a minister came to Dundee to find out all he could about this wonderful man of God. What was the secret? He asked an elder in Dundee. Oh, I can tell you, he said. Come with me. The elder took the man to McGene's desk. And he said to him, put your elbows on this desk and your hand in your head and let the tears flow. The two men went up to McCheen's pulpit and the elder repeated the same thing. Put your elbows on the pulpit and your head in your hands and let the tears flow. I believe that is really hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Psalm 125 says, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. So God puts the hunger in our hearts for a purpose. 
There is a time of sowing, and there is a time of reaping. But God gives a promise, they shall be filled. In the natural, we know when we are full. But on the spiritual level, this anointing just creates a further anointing. When we're full, we can't eat anymore. But when we're hungry for God, he creates that capacity that you can eat more, drink more, because he's, he's making your capacity to hold what is spiritual greater and greater as you hunger and thirst for God and for righteousness. So we have a guarantee that we will be filled. The question we must ask ourselves, are we being filled? Do we have this spiritual satisfaction? Is the fruit of the Spirit of God manifested in my life and in your life? Are we concerned about it? Are we experiencing the love of God in our hearts and our love for others? The Bible says, they shall be filled. They are being filled. Are we enjoying these things? Are we enjoying our peace with God? Do we rejoice in the Lord always? Jacob wrestled with the angel of God. Till the breaking of the day, he wanted God's blessing. You remember what he says? They wrestled, the angel wrestled him till, till the breaking of the day. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob say, could say, I've seen God face to face and left. The time is gone. I didn't want to get to the other one. The other text that I had before you was, Blessed are the pure in heart they shall see God. But we'll leave it there. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessedness of knowing you as a loving Heavenly Father, as a God who cares and understands every heartache and every problem. But we do believe, Lord, that you're leading us on to a greater height and to a different level in you. And we do realize from your word, Lord, that we need holiness, we need righteousness. We need to hunger enough in our hearts for you, for the blessing of God, and to hunger for righteousness. Help us, Lord, that our lives will be pure and holy. Now we will be brought up the mountain, higher up the mountain, into a closer communion with God. To know you, Lord Jesus and the power of your resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, and for every member of this church, that the blessing and the anointing of God will be upon every life and every family. For we ask it in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, James. For that word. Hunger and thirsting. Do you have any hungry people out there? Hungry for the spiritual food. And now we're going to go get the natural food as well. 
Amen. Just invite you to come back tonight for the uh, 6 o'clock service. Uh, if you're new, welcome again, and you're welcome to come tonight. Have a great afternoon. God bless.